Hello, this is Simon Gallagher from eSmart Networks. Welcome to the Grid Podcast, your weekly guide to all things grid-related, focusing especially on how it is changing to enable our net-zero future. As you can probably tell from the sound effects, it is a windy day out there. There's actually a red warning in place, and actually there's a lot of people right now as I speak with no electricity. So this is an extra special edition of the Grid Podcast. It's not the weekly one, it's a special edition. And it's all about how we prepare for storms, how the networks respond, and exactly what a DNO goes through to get people back on supply. So how do storms work for the electricity networks then? So the whole process starts with an internal escalation within the DNO. So they have got special arrangements with the Met Office and other services to give them really good quality long-range forecasts. So when they see something on the horizon that looks like it could be a storm or could cause large damage to the network, they start the preparations at that stage. As they get closer to the event, the DNOs will actually escalate into what they call storm mode. And really, preparation at this stage is split into two. First of all, they need to prepare the network, so there's some physical engineering involved there. But also to prepare the business, that's more on the resources and how the DNO will respond to what is a really mammoth task which can be building and repairing significant amounts of high-voltage and low-voltage networks in a very, very short space of time. So preparing the network, first of all, in the days and hours ahead of a storm, the EHV outages will all be reviewed, and any that can be put back will. So for example, this could be transformers out for maintenance, switchgear out for maintenance, outages for connections, things like that where there's EHV circuits which are not in service, so they're dead, they're isolated, they're out of service for whatever reason. And the reason for this is that the EHV networks are generally built to what we call N-1. So if you think of a primary substation, so that's a 33,000 volt to 11,000 volt substation that might supply sort of 10 20, 30,000 people. The standard design for a more rural one of those is two 33 kV circuits, which supply two transformers, and the two transformers supply the load. And actually, it's designed that if one circuit or one transformer is faulted or a maintenance, it still supply the whole load with just one. That's what we call N minus one. Of course, the problem is in a storm, there's more likely to be damage to one of the circuits. So we don't want lots and lots of substations on what we call single circuit risk. So any transformers that can go back into service, any lines can go back into service, will be done. Same goes on the high voltage network, the 11,000 volt or the or the 6.6 kV network. Any holes or outages in those networks will be put back together. So this means the networks are as resilient as possible especially the EHV networks, which feed, you know, tens and tens of thousands of customers. At the same time, all EHV outages have got emergency restoration times, which are lodged with the control rooms. So these will all be checked and updated to see if the plans can be brought forward. All those plans will be looked at by the SAPs and the control engineers, again, to make the network as resilient as possible. And if need be, they can get plant back into action as quick as possible. On top of that then, depending on the weather forecasts, most planned work, especially in overhead networks, because generally planned work on high voltage networks needs the networks to be isolated. So most of that will be cancelled and that has two effects. 
First of all, the networks are more resilient because there's not outages in the networks, but also the staff, the engineers, the linesmen, the SAPs that would be doing the planned work can then be used on fault restoration work. They can all get into their, their storm modes, which are they're well-versed with. So the second half of this equation then is preparing the business, preparing all the resources for the big task that's ahead. So the first thing that happens is all the DNOs have got very advanced models that can actually predict the number of HV faults and EHV faults that they're going to they're going to sustain in the network. And that, their models usually have a couple of different inputs. So one of them, of course, will be maximum wind speeds. The other one will be duration of wind speed, but also some of the more advanced ones can take into account wind direction and things like that. And, you know, these have been built up over years and years, decades of data in UK networks responding to storms. The relationship between wind speed, duration and faults is not a linear one at all. Over 70 miles an hour, a lot more damage is caused. So if you imagine a curve of wind speed to damage, it's very exponential, especially once we get above 60, 70 miles an hour. And really, above 90 miles per hour, the damage can be catastrophic. It's worth remembering that the DNO is repairing HV faults every day anyway. But in a storm, particularly a big storm, a lot more resources is needed to really get on top of things. So when it's been established how many resources are needed, the following types of people are all put in standby, ready to respond to the storm. So we've got linesmen, engineers, that's SAPs and APs, contractors, lots of contractors do good work. The tree cutters, the tree surgeons, massively important. Excavation teams, control center staff. Control center can be a real, you know, they're hugely important, but it can be a real constraint because... Compared to the field staff, there isn't actually that many qualified control engineers in any of the DNOs, so hugely important that that is very efficient. Contact centre staff, of course, these are the people who answer the phones. Management teams, of course, this all needs managed. And increasingly, in recent years, actually, generator teams. And what some DNOs are doing here is the, the resources that historically couldn't really have helped in a, in a storm, like jointers, things like that, they can now connect up generators, especially to vulnerable customers. In bigger events, practically the whole DNO is switched over to storm mode and people are activated into what is known as their storm rules. So these can include call handlers. So modern technology means that it's not just the, the contact center anymore, but the calls can actually be routed around the different regional offices that a DNO has or even um, contractors. There's scouts, and these are the people who go out and identify faults, identify damage. They respond to the contact center to vulnerable customers. And a lot of what they do actually is identifying things that are not the DNO's issue. Like there is a lot of people ring in about downed uh, cables and wires. And when the scouts go out, actually it's BT wires, which is a problem, but it's not the problem the DNO can solve. And then fusing scouts. So these are scouts who are, are authorized to put fuses in and this can be really useful where transient faults have blown fuses so a, you know a tree has brushed a line especially the the open wire lv overhead lines blown the fuses but the but the tree has bounced back off the line so a fuse can be put in and get the customers back on supply so all these people are all made available as well so practically all normal routine work for a big event will stop while the business prepares all these thousands of people to go out there and respond other things going on at the same time, so material, 
inventories are checked, so poles, pole butts, overhead conductors, splices, all that stuff. They need a lot of it. Also, there's storm stores or storm containers. So these are local stores with emergency equipment in them. They're all checked to make sure everything's there. Local resource centers are set up, so generally... A lot of DNOs manage their fault resource centrally, but in a storm, because you've got so many resources, really, it becomes too much to be managed centrally. So a lot of DNOs split this out into much smaller local teams to manage the resources. Generators are all made ready. Are the batteries charged? Have they got fuel in them? Fuels made ready. Generators are also sited at very important points for the DNO. So the local resource centers will have emergency generators put there as will the control centers, the standby control centers. And this is just so clearly if the DNO loses power, that's an issue. So they have these generators sitting there ready just in case. Also, there's a system called NUSAC, which is an agreement called the North East South Area Consortium. And this is a national agreement where DNOs can share their resources. So for example, Northern Ireland Electricity quite regularly send over teams of linesmen and engineers to Great Britain because they may not be affected and there's all sorts of procedures in there for operating across boundaries and who does what and things like that. And even in the background, how the companies charge each other, basic agreements on food and rest and all that kind of thing. So NUSAC calls will start. So each company's got a representative. There'll be conference calls arranged and they'll start discussing possible resource requirements from other DNOs based on their models of faults. And then it all goes quiet. Preparations have been done. People are ready, material are ready, the DNOs are geared up. So bearing in mind at this stage, most planned work has been cancelled. So this actually can feel like a bit of a lull and really is the quiet before the storm. So the weather is clearly monitored very closely and the control room and senior management will be monitoring the fault levels very closely. And when I say fault levels, I mean the number of faults that's happening on the network. They will also be watching the weather radar and just tracking the storm as it comes across the UK and through the new SAC calls, getting an idea of how the other DNOs are getting hit in terms of damage. So the faults start happening. The control room starts getting more and more alarms. More and more circuit breakers start tripping. More and more auto reclosers start to lock out. So at this stage, they've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen because we've probably seen what the wind speeds are elsewhere in the country and some of the damage the other DNOs are seeing. So at this stage, a system emergency or a network emergency or a customer emergency is declared by the DNO internally. They all call it different things, but what this means is a very intentional putting the rest of the business on notice that we are going to go into storm mode. And what that means then is people start activating properly into the storm rolls and sort of drop the day-to-day -day stuff. During this phase, regular calls are held between the control center and the managers and the local resource centers to decide at what stage to start deploying the resources. It is very important not to deploy them too early because first of all, it's dangerous. You do want people out there in the wind but also because in the first few hours of a big storm, generally the work mostly is the control room using remote control equipment to do a lot of switching. So actually because the control engineers are restoring large amounts of customers with remote control equipment, they can't give switching instructions to the SAPs or the APs that are out there. So generally for the first number of hours, it's mostly the control center restoring as many people as they can via remote control. So at that stage, 
the linesmen and the, and the engineers aren't actually deployed. As the wind dies down, the storm's moving through, the extent of the damage is becoming clear in terms of numbers of customers off supply. Eventually, the control engineers get through the bulk of the EHV switching they can do to restore supplies, and we start sending resources out into the field. And this really is the repair phase starting proper now. One of the first things that happens is the helicopters are sent up. So there's a number of consortium of helicopters around the UK and they're sent out by the DNOs with copies of the EHV routes. And they generally fly as much of the EHV routes as they can, looking for damage, looking for issues, looking for major faults. During this phase, the control center are prioritizing faults generally by the number of customers affected, and that will always be EHV faults first. That's EHV with customers off. There will be EHV faults that have happened, but because the network is N-2, people are on supply, but EHV faults with customers off supply, then high-voltage faults, and then LV faults. Now, HV faults can actually mask LV faults, so the number of faults generally grow through this stage. A decision is made fairly early on that if it's going to take over 48 hours to restore most customers, then 24-hour working will not be used. Bearing in mind there's a finite number of operational staff out in the field, so that's mostly linesmen, engineers, SAP, APs. The more productive during the day, during the, the hours of daylight, and remember the weather's still quite rough. So it makes no sense for them to work overnight because they will have to sleep in the next day. So generally they work very long days, they work very hard, but generally it will be from first thing in the morning through to last thing at night. And then they will sleep overnight. So they don't work 24 hours a day. So teams of linesmen, engineers, APs, tree cutters, they'll all be sent out to start the repair effort. At the same time, generators will be deployed, especially on vulnerable customers, where the DNOs know at that stage that they won't be restored for quite a long time. So that could be because they're in the end of a very long spur that's collapsed, or they're a single premise that really they won't get to in terms of priority to quite a long time. So generators will be used at that stage to restore supplies. Also, they will be used on substations where for whatever reason, it's gonna be very difficult to repair the faults so a generator can be applied to a substation to supply hundreds of customers. At this stage, now we're into routine. So there's hundreds of teams out there and each team will generally be made up of an SAP, a few linesmen's teams, their vehicle, their materials and tree cutters. And these crews will be sent out to individual faults to restore as many customers as they can on a damage line, for example, by switching or by cutting jumpers, things like that. They will then isolate the faulty section they will apply their circuit main earths, their flexible earths. They will issue safety documents, repair the damage, test it, take the earths off, cancel their safety documents, make it live, check the customers and repeat. And repeat lots and lots of time moving between fault and fault. And remember, this is really demanding physical work in very rough weather and can be in very rural areas. Given now we're probably 24 hours into the repair phase, at this stage, the DNOs have a really good picture of how badly they've been affected. So the new SAC agreement is used to agree what DNOs can release what resources to other areas. And this is a really well-rehearsed system that they go through. So generally, you will have a convoy. For example, you might have 30 teams from Northern Ireland on the ferry going to Scotland. They'll be received by the training centres from the DNO where they give them a, an induction pack. They get operational keys. 
they're issued any special operational instructions, their control phone numbers, things like that. And then they head out there and they're treated generally as if they're the DNO's one staff going around doing the same isolate, repair, restore that the DNO's own crews and contractors are doing. Now, in a really big storm, this can take weeks actually to get customers back on supply. Doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And in a big storm, the DNOs will fall back onto postcodes. So generally, they will be communicating in terms of postcodes of when people will go back on supply. But really, forecasting at the early stages when people will go back on supply is incredibly difficult. Because, for example, we've got a HV fault that's affected 400 customers on a line. They go out there, jack the conductors back up, put new poles up, fix it, energize it. And then there's still people off supply because the LV network has been damaged as well. But we didn't know about the LV damage because the HV fault masked that. So then we need more linesmen, more engineers to go out and repair the LV damage before all the people are put back on supply. So the DNOs come in for a lot of criticism over this, but it is incredibly hard to really give accurate times and when people will be restored. And this just continues on until everybody is restored as they get further and further into it and the, and the numbers start to dwindle, the new SAC resources will be released because don't forget, these are people who are away from home. They're away from their families. They're working incredibly hard. They're working very long hours. It's difficult to sustain that. So eventually those resources will be sent home. At that stage, the DNO then has to do the actual permanent repairs. So there will be lots of temporary but safe, but there are temporary repairs that will have happened. There'll be lots of generators on the network. So really, it can take months and months to repair the damage on the network. And that's it. That's the podcast special. I hope that was useful. I hope someone, apart from my mum maybe, found it interesting. It was just a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at how we prepare or how the DNOs prepare to get the lights back on when the storm puts them off. Thank you very much. 